This message was presented at the GYC 2017 conference, Arise, in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Well, welcome. We're excited to uh, have you here. I apologize that I am not William. If you were expecting to hear William, I am sorry to disappoint. William had uh, had jaw surgery a couple weeks ago and they haven't quite uh, taken out the brace yet, so he's uh, a little difficult to speak, so I'm filling in for him this morning. Um, he was the gentleman that was just passing out all the, the cards, so he's been helping uh, with everything on the back end here. And um, you'll be hearing from, uh, from several of us here on the committee this morning and this afternoon. We, uh, we are excited to be able to share with you. This is something that we're obviously passionate about. We, uh, we do music for the fun of it. And uh, we're excited to be able to work with you guys. I'm guessing most of you guys are musicians. How many of you guys play an instrument? That's pretty much everyone. How many of you guys sing? Almost everyone. Okay. How many of you guys write music? Ah, pretty good. All right. So we're going to have... Um, we're going to have several sessions, including one on writing music. That's the fourth one, so stay, stay tuned for that one. I want to encourage you to think of questions you might have. We're going to have a way to, for you to submit questions by text. Uh, probably after this meeting, we'll have that set up, and you can text questions in. We will have some Q&A time after several of our sessions, as well as tomorrow morning will be a panel where we will take questions from you. We'll be addressing things, uh, several things with regards to how to deal with conflict in music, um, and then we'll take questions from you guys as well. So think of those questions, write them down. We want this series to be a little different than what you might have imagined. Uh, a lot of music seminars are more focused on uh, good and bad music. And that's a good thing to understand. But we also want to talk about the practical side. How do we use music more effectively to finish the Lord's work, to share the gospel? Amen? So that's what we're going to be focusing on, on, on with this series. However, it is important to understand that there is such a thing as bad music and understand how that bad music came about and what its effects can be if we fall into using it in our endeavors to use music for ministry. So, all my life I have heard the terms, you know, good music, bad music, worldly music, earthly music, heavenly music. You, you, you guys have heard these terms. Uh, but music was never meant to be bad. It was created to be perfectly good in every way. I can remember as a young boy, I, I thought music was the most amazing thing ever. I would go outside and where no one could hear me, and I would uh, sing, make up songs, never sing the same tune or the same lyrics twice, always on some new musical adventure and in, my, in my own mind. And my parents had this uh, Sony stereo system, had two large, large speakers, and I would put them on the table and put on something like Beethoven's Ninth. And I would turn it up just loud enough that I could feel the orchestra 
with the speakers on either side of me. And it was the closest thing I could get to that experience you get when you're in the concert hall. You're like on the front row and you can feel the cellos instead of hear them. It's a, you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's quite the amazing feeling. So I would listen to all the music I could get my hands on. One day I um, was digging through a box and I found uh, a box of CDs that I hadn't seen before. I hadn't heard it played in our home before. So I, you know, ever curious, stuck one in the CD player. What is this all about? And what came out of the, of the speakers was, was quite exhilarating to my, my young mind. I, I had not, it was a little different than what I'd heard at church or in our home before. And I remember the feeling that it gave me. I, I felt like I wanted to sit extremely still and jump up in excitement at the same exact time. I remember that feeling to this day. And I was listening to this music. My mom came into the house and she's like, what are you, what are you doing? As I showed her the CDs that I found, I was all excited and, and uh, told her what I had found. And, and she looked at me with a chuckle. She's like, oh, <laughs> you found my, uh, my old uh, pile of naughty music. <laughs> she, had, uh, she had apparently tucked it away and forgotten about it. That was the first time that I recall realizing or, or hearing the concept that music could be in some way bad or negative. And it was quite jarring to my young mind to think that such a wonderful thing could be in any way bad. I don't recall exactly what, was, what, what music was in that box, but apparently had some elements that led my mom to set it aside because of the negative effect it had on her spiritual life. And as I grew older, through the gentle education of my parents and my Heavenly Father, I began to understand what that experience was, what it was like to have music affect my spiritual life, affect my desire for spiritual things uh, negatively, and also for it to inspire and encourage my spiritual life. I learned that some music could actually enhance my walk with the Lord and make me want to study the Bible more, make me want to pray. And I also, as I grew older, I learned what it's like to not just enjoy music that inspires me to go to God, but to share music that encourages someone else. I remember several times early on when I would give a special music at church or something and someone's face would just light up in the audience. And maybe they'd come up to me afterwards and say, you know, that's just what, it was terrible special music. I wasn't that good at anything. And, but they'd say, you know, that song, the, what you said in that song was just what I needed to hear today. And they were encouraged. And I was like, okay, I don't know. It wasn't me. It must have been the Lord. <laughs> it wasn't me. But that experience, that experience taught me, or at least began to teach me, the power that music can have for good or for bad. So, music in your sphere. This series, I hope, is practical. I hope you are walk away with some tools to help you with your, your musical um, ministry. We're going to have five sessions. This first one is just going to lay the groundwork. Uh, why do we sing? Where did music come from? Just some of these basic questions. Uh, session two, Power of One Song. Annie is going to be talking about music in your local church, how to use it more effectively, uh, song services, that sort of a thing. 
Um, she's got some, I, I've seen some of her presentation. I can't wait to hear the rest of it myself. Uh, session three, Singing of a Better Land. Ariel is gonna talk about music in evangelism. How can we use music more effectively to actually reach people outside of our churches, outside of our sphere of influence, people who would probably otherwise never be interested in a Bible study or coming to church, but maybe music can capture their attention. Session four, James is gonna be talking about creating heaven's music, how to write music. Um, he's, he's got, you, you gotta to come to his session. I, I can't wait for you to hear some of the stuff that he's got, got for us. And then tomorrow morning we're going to, um, we're gonna talk about, we're gonna have a panel and we're gonna talk about how to deal with conflict in music. You know, if you're, how many of you guys have been working with people in music and you don't agree and you don't know what to do with that? Is that, is that a familiar experience? Yeah, a few of you? We're gonna talk about how, what's some practical things we can do to address that, those, those moments of conflict when we don't agree, we don't know how to come together in our music ministry. Um, and we're also going to take questions from you guys. Uh, anything that we haven't answered at that point, we'll try to try to address in that panel. Are you excited? Amen. Amen. All right, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you give us a song to sing. We thank you that you created music for our enjoyment, for our blessing. We ask that you would help us to learn to use it better to your glory. Help us to learn to use it to share your love with others and to glorify you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why do I sing? This question, I think, is the center point of all the dilemmas we face in music, our motivation. If our motivation is not, depending on where our motivation is placed, we will find ourselves with one dilemma or another. This is, uh, this is true of any part of Christianity. Uh, Christ brought it to light on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, quite painfully actually. Does anyone have a Bible? You wanna read for us Matthew 6? verses 1 through 4. Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4. Any volunteers? Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, Amen. When you do charitable deeds, do not sound a trumpet. We're talking about music. Do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. What is that saying? It's talking about what's your motivation. If you're doing a good deed, 
Is the deed itself all that you need to do? Or does your motivation behind that deed need to be correct? Amen? If you're singing a good song, a godly song, a heavenly song, but you're singing it for your glory, or you're singing it to be recognized of men, if you're sounding a trumpet to catch people's attention, what blessing is that going to be? That will be your reward if that is what you're doing it for. Music, this applies to many things, including music. I remember a little girl that I met once. She had a beautiful voice, very strong voice, very beautiful. And one day at church, she was running around. She's about four or five years old. She was running around singing every song she could think of. And, yeah, and she could think of a lot, <laughs> trust me. And she was singing and singing, Jesus loves me, this little light of mine, amazing grace. And then when she ran out of songs she can remember, she started all over again. And I was trying to get some stuff done. I was uh, being a Pharisee, running around trying to, you know, Jesus, you know, are these little children really necessary? We're trying to get things done here. Uh, that was my attitude. And I, I found her singing to be a little ambitious. And I, I finally, in an effort to divert her from her concert, I asked her, um, why are, you, why are you singing so much? And she looked at me with a, with a smirk. Uh, she said, because Jesus loves me, silly. <laughs> and I couldn't argue with that. I had nothing to say in response. <laughs> and so I left her to continue with great gusto. She probably didn't fully understand the import of what her answer was but it has stuck with me to this day. Why am I singing? Is there any other reason to sing other than because Jesus loves me? Amen. As far as we know, music has always existed. Uh, God himself sings. We find that from, from Zephaniah. We'll look at that in a bit later. And if God sings, then music must have always existed because God has always existed. At least that's the logic that makes sense to me. God must enjoy singing as well because he created one of the most powerful, most beautiful, most talented angels, uh, beings he has ever created. He created to be the chief musician of heaven. Uh, we, he was originally created as Lucifer. And I want us to use our imaginations here for a while. We're, uh, we're, we're artists, Amen. Our imaginations are, are a tool that we hopefully exercise often to the glory of God. So let's, uh, let's, let's try using our imaginations right now. Here at GYC, we're in Phoenix. Uh, this is a familiar city to us as far as a large city goes. Um, imagine with me the sounds of this city or whatever city you might be most familiar with. The, the cars that are driving in rush hour, uh, people talking on their cell phones as they're walking along the street, uh, perhaps discussing whatever the topic of the day is, this question of the day. Uh, horns are honking in, uh, in noisy frustration. And everyone seems to be busy. Everyone seems to be going somewhere quickly, but largely indifferent to one another. Sound familiar? Can you picture this? Now let's imagine a better place. Let's glimpse the glories of, a, of the city of heaven. Let's take our eyes off the asphalt to streets of gold, so pure that it is clear, shimmering white. 
we must uh, pull our shoulders out of the uh, jostling crowd of the GYC breakfast line and picture angels who, though they may be busy, they always have a moment for a smile, a kind word as they pass one another. These angels are strong, majestic beings. They, I can only imagine what heaven is like. The city is warm. The soft glow of light encircles the city. The entire place reflects the peace of heaven, the peace that permeates every aspect of that wonderful city. High above the city, underneath an emerald rainbow, is a gorgeous white throne, the throne of God. We cannot enter the throne room, but we can watch as angels go in there. As they approach its door, we see them uh, stepping softly, covering their faces, uh, assuming an utmost attitude of reverence, mingled with love. Our king is in this place, amen? Now let's turn our attention to the sounds of heaven. Uh, the angels passing us on the street talk in musical tones. Some are deep and resident, uh, others silvery, with a, but they have a certain richness that we can't really compare to anything we've heard here on earth. It seems they are uh, all the greatest of singers, and judging by the intricate tunes that they are humming as they, as they go on their, on their duties, they must indeed be incredible musicians. One singer in particular seems to stand out above all the rest. He is tall, he is noble, uh, head and shoulders above the rest of the angels, and he seems rather important. We see him hurriedly uh, going from angel to angel. Uh, he, uh, he goes to the throne room and comes back. He's answering questions of other angels. Uh, we, we ask uh, a passing angel and we find out that his name is Lucifer. And we also find out that, to our surprise, a heavenly concert is about to begin. We watch as the angels take out their harps and trumpets. I use these terms for lack of a better word. I, the musical instruments of heaven are nothing like the instruments we know by these names. But uh, let's use our imaginations. They take their places on platforms, balconies nearby, Quiet chatter fills the air with soft humming and strumming of 10,000 expert musicians. Then all falls silent as Lucifer raises his hand. Standing high on a platform so that all the angels can see him, he looks more noble than ever. Then Lucifer begins to sing. And oh, what singing. His voice is so resonant, so rich, the pitch and tone is so perfect and so perfectly controlled that as it reflects off the gates of the city, it rings in harmony with itself. Can you imagine a voice that can sing in harmony with itself? I can hardly sing in harmony with someone else. <laughs> he sings only a few notes though, just enough to get the song started. 
The music is exquisite, unlike anything we have heard or can even imagine on this earth. With the sweep of his mighty arm, Lucifer brings in only half of the angel choir. And the sound is spectacular. So full and glorious, it sends shivers down my spine just to imagine it. This is an antiphonal angel anthem with a trump of uh, a troop of trumpeters uh, posing their musical question from across the way, an ensemble of harps answering from somewhere across the river of life, and a massive angel choir tying it all together with 10,000 golden voices. And above it all, we hear the voice of Lucifer adding an obligato here, a trill there, a special note of emphasis somewhere else. The theme of the song is praise to our king, his goodness, for his grace, his love. This is what the angels love to sing about, for they truly know and love God. Amen? In spite of their remarkable beauty, glorious voices, many and many other gifts, the angels appear amazingly humble. Their spectacular rendition of musical genius strikes its last chord and finally fades into silence. Our human hearts leap for a standing ovation. And we are about to raise a thunderous round of applause when we are interrupted with a thousand angel voices saying, praise God, hallelujah, glory to his name. Scanning the angel choir, we see faces filled with joy of a perfect performance, yet not one seems to want an ounce of praise in exchange. Then we look to Lucifer. He's the composer. He's the arranger. He's the conductor of this entire spectacular affair. He is bowing, not toward any intended audience, but to our king, the king of the universe. Our human hearts wonder, how does Lucifer seem to take, he seems to take no credit for this extraordinary performance. Imagine yourself in Lucifer's place, having just orchestrated one of the most incredible, heavenly, musical orations to date and yet wanting no credit for it whatsoever. This is foreign to our human selfish hearts. It would seem only fitting to take perhaps a slight bow, to accept just one round of applause for a job well done. But such a concept is foreign to Lucifer and the heavenly host. Job 38, verse 4 and 7 Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth, when the morning stars sang together and all the suns shouted for joy? Amen. Why did Lucifer sing before sin entered his heart? What was his motivation? Praise the Lord. He sang because Jesus loved him, silly. The 
Look at this quote from Patriarchs and Prophets. Music forms a part of God's worship in the courts above, and we should endeavor in our songs of praise to approach as nearly as possible to the harmony of heaven, heavenly choirs. The proper training of the voice is an important feature in education and should not be neglected. Singing as a part of religious service is as much an act of worship as is prayer. The heart must feel the spirit of the song and give it right expression. And there's another one from, uh, from Testimonies, volume one, page 123. I saw the beauty of heaven. I heard the angels sing their rapturous songs and ascribing praise, honor, and glory to Jesus. I could then realize something of the wondrous love of the Son of God. When she saw this in vision, when they sang, she could then realize just something of the love of God. The more I think about that, the more it, it just blows my mind. Sadly, though, we know that from biblical history that Lucifer eventually did begin to crave applause. He had craved... Um, his heart was lifted up for his beauty, and perhaps his extraordinary musical talent uh, was something of this. Just a few highlights from this quote. Um, Through all, though all his glory was from God, this mighty angel came to regard it as pertaining to himself. We sing, we have talent, but do we think it is ours or do we think it is from God's? Always got to remember that. Instead of seeking to make God supreme in the affections uh, and allegiance of all the created beings, it was his endeavor to secure their service and loyalty to himself. His motivation changed. Whatever the source, the mightiest angel watered a little seed of pride until it grew into a mighty tree of selfishness. His exclamations of praise God, glory to his name, were gradually replaced by a self-satisfied smile. Perhaps he started by giving a slight bow to the angel audience after a particularly spectacular solo. Then uh, perhaps just using your imagination as a, you know, we, we, we can relate to this, perhaps he started to give a, an encore. Or maybe and then later on he began to add more encores after more applause. He did not openly, at first, the pride in his heart was concealed. He did not openly express his feelings and desire for personal exaltation. It was concealed. But he did eventually strike a note of discord among the angel choir, as if, uh, as if to say... I can imagine that the, the sound of sin, if you will, was so foreign to the streets of heaven. It seemed to the faithful angels as if, it, as if a thousand honking horns had suddenly entered the streets of heaven in a disruptive chorus. Angels passing each other on the street now were discussing the argument of the day. Is God's music really the only good music? 
What about other music that may seem right to an angel? In his mercy, God allowed the note of discord to reverberate for quite some time in the streets of heaven. He loved Lucifer. He wanted to win him back. Look at this from Patriarchs and Prophets. James is going to expand on this later, but this is just, this is so intriguing to look at. The angels joyfully acknowledged the supremacy of Christ and prostrated themselves before him, poured out their love and adoration. Lucifer bowed with them. But in his heart, there was a strange, fierce conflict. Truth, justice, and loyalty were struggling against envy and jealousy. The influence of the holy angels seemed for a time to carry him with them as songs of praise ascended in the melodious strains, swelled by a thousand glad voices, the spirit of evil seemed vanquished. Unutterable love thrilled his entire being. His soul went out in harmony with the sinless worshipers, in love to the Father and the Son. But again, he was filled with pride in his own glory, and he desired for supremacy. His desire for supremacy returned, and envy of Christ was once more indulged. When the choirs of heaven sang, he was almost convinced to turn back from the course he had taken. To me, that shows the power, two things. It shows the power music can have. It almost convinced Lucifer. But the second thing, the power of indulged pride as we cherish this in our hearts, as we desire for recognition. That is a power that we should not diminish. It's dangerous, very dangerous. The Lord loved Lucifer. He wanted to win him back, but it was not to be because Lucifer refused to change his mind despite the gentle pleading of the father and the son. Worse yet, Lucifer set all his energy to persuading a third of the angels to join him in this new band, shall we say. They had a new form of music they wanted to do, so to speak. This was, I'm sure, a big blow to the angel choir to see their friends, the faithful angels, to see their friends deceived by pride and self-centeredness. Lucifer at first never intended to lose heaven. In fact, at first, he had no desire to overthrow God. He only wanted to be equal with God. He only wanted for more recognition for himself. And it almost seemed like a humble request at first in his own mind. I worked so hard. Is it wrong to ask for one small recognition? But as his pride was met with resistance, as his effort for, for recognition did not come to what he wanted, it resulted in him resenting God, resenting what to him seemed like the obstacle to his goal, God himself. And that grew and grew and grew. This is, this is important because we can, we can think we desire something good when in fact we are on a path to destruction. 
We don't have to be deceived. God is more powerful than the deceiver. But let's not deceive ourselves. Amen? We don't have time to fully unpack this right now. Um, but I can imagine Satan in his music artfully weaving in aspects of praise. Praise for the Father, but also praise for himself, maybe in the way that he sang, maybe in the certain way that he phrased certain things, um, so deceivingly that the angels didn't actually realize what he was saying at first. And that's, that's important. I think uh, Annie and Ariel and James are going to speak about some of that a little bit more, so uh, we won't go any further on that right now. But the story goes on. You know the story. Lucifer grew to hate heaven's music so much, we're told that as he heard Adam and Eve singing in the garden, he did not like it. They were perhaps singing some of the same songs that Lucifer himself had written. I'm, I'm guessing, but it's possible. He was the music, chief musician of the universe. He had probably written an enormous amount of music. Perhaps Adam and Eve were singing it. And he set his mind to stopping heaven's music by deceiving Adam and Eve. When the news of the fall of Adam and Eve reached the streets of heaven, we are told that the angels ceased their singing. All heaven fell silent. Perhaps the only sound that was heard was the weeping of the father above the city gates just as, as David wept for Absalom. Oh, Adam, my son Adam, Eve, my daughter Eve, oh, that I could die in your place. And of course, that was the plan. This had been laid out since the foundation of the earth, a plan for salvation in case someone decided to go their own way. The son approaches the father, and offers his life in place of the fallen race. The angels watch in stunned amazement. This had not crossed their minds as a possibility. The idea that it was difficult for them to accept, even for the father, in fact. Even though this was an agreed upon plan, the sacrifice, the enormity of the sacrifice that the father and son would go through was so enormous that the father perhaps hesitated for a moment. The angels at first struggled to understand the full magnitude of what this meant. They realized Jesus would be going at great risk to himself. They loved Jesus. They didn't want to lose him. They offered to go and die themselves, but the life of an angel could not pay the price of sin. Only Jesus could save the lost sinner. As they grasp this new perspective on the depth of God's love, they were inspired to sing again. Amen? And they didn't just sing any hymn from the hymnal. They had a new song to sing. Their love for God now more than ever before, they understood not just his love, but how far he would go to save his own. A new and noble angel had been selected to lead the angel choir. 
blessed with abundant talent. He assembled the heavenly harps, singers, trumpets for the first performance after the fall of, ha- of man. Perhaps he penned a new song for the occasion and distributed it among, among the angels right then and there. As sinless angels, they would never know the depths of joy that we humans feel when pulled from the pit of sin, but they could share in that joy. They could sing of that joy. And now in a tribute to the wonderful and now saving power of God, the musicians of heaven filled heaven once again with music. This infuriated Satan. He had wanted to stop the music of heaven. All he got was an intermission, an intermission where the glory of God was more, powerful, more powerfully revealed than ever before. He didn't know how long this conflict would go on, but it was all-out war at this point. And he goes back to his shop to drop his next set of plans. He had earth as, as his battlefield and man as his sinful subjects. He wanted to control this race, control us. He's already attacked on the point of appetite. And he sought to control on this point and to endeavor and to induce us to worship anything but God. And yes, the greatest musician of the universe would extend this battle to the realm of music. This would be easy for him. He knew, he knew the recipe for heavenly music by heart. Uh, all he needed to do was to add a little ingredients. I can imagine just uh, using your imagination, he puts out various pots of good music and the angels are wondering what the, the evil angels are wondering what in the world he's doing. He puts a demon by each pot. He boils the pot of good music to the right temperature or the right tempo, if you will. And he gives some diabolical ingredients to each angel. And when the music is ready, they add their ingredients. Some pots get a ton of bad. Some pots, perhaps only a teaspoon of bad. Satan doesn't care as long as there is something evil in each pot of music. He then stows this away to be used in the coming centuries. He would perhaps tweak the recipe again later, but for now, it was already a powerful weapon. It's almost as if, since, th- since that time till now, it's almost as if there has been an antiphonal competition going on. Do you guys know what antiphonal music is? Antiphonal? Yes. It is where you have two choirs or two uh, uh, sets of musicians answering each other from one side to the other. There are musical questions posed and, and answered on the other side. And it's as if the choirs of heaven have been singing the songs of heaven and what has been responding from earth has been a dreadful sound in response. 
But above that clash of sound, we hear in today's music, there is one voice that can be heard above it all. It's not the voice of a man or an angel. It's the voice of God himself. Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet over you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Amen. God rejoices over us with singing. Why? Because he loves us, silly. This may seem like a basic point to us as Christians, maybe even cliche. We've heard it so much. I have personally struggled to grasp the significance of God's love and sacrifice for me. His motivation to sing over me with joy. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. But I have sought to understand this. I have sought to, um, to understand God's love. Why would he love me? And I have been challenged many of times to ask the question, why am I singing? Why am I sharing this song? I first found myself asking this question not long after I found that box of CDs. I chose to listen to some of them. And I found myself, well, at first I, I told myself that you know, my mother was being a little straight-laced and it wasn't, it wasn't that big a deal. But over time, I found myself affected by the music. My spirituality was drained from my young mind. And I had, to, I had to come to that question of asking myself, why am I listening to this music? Is it because I like it? Or is it because my Father likes it, my Heavenly Father, and because it draws me to Him? I, I knew the answer to that question. I knew what I wanted it to be, but I also knew what the true answer of my heart was. I knew that I just liked it. I knew that it was... It was what I wanted to do, not what God wanted me to do. So this was a gradual thing for me. It didn't happen overnight, but little by little, the Lord worked on my heart, and he asked me to surrender it. And I did, not right away, not completely. It was gradual. But I wanted to surrender it, and so I tried to. And the first thing he asked me to do was to completely get rid of that music. And of course, I didn't want to do that. I, I even, at one point, uh, argued with God. I told God I thought he was being a little straight-laced. And God didn't say anything in response to that. He knew, what, he knew that I knew what I needed to do, and I knew what I needed to do. He didn't argue with me. He just lovingly let me make my decision. Amen? He's not here to make us feel guilty or to um, 
to make us feel as if we have gone too far. He's here to lovingly invite us to join the heavenly choir. Amen? He comes with open arms and with the power to give us victory over music, our desire for wrong music, and to teach us to sing and to share music more powerfully than we can imagine. Amen? As I began to surrender the music and to think about my motivation behind why I was singing, what I was singing, what I was listening to, it became easier and easier to answer the dilemmas that I faced in music. If I had a style of music I wanted to listen to, if I asked myself, why am I listening to it? Is it because I like it or because of my father likes it or because it brings me in a deeper relationship with God? The answer to that question made it much clearer whether or not I should listen to that style of music or not. If it was something that brought me closer to God, then the style is probably a good style. This, of course, needs to be answered, and, and this, these questions need to be sought with prayer, with Bible study. Our own imaginations can deceive us more often than we realize. How should I sing this particular song? What style should I use? Well, what am I trying to do with that song? Why am I singing the song? Am I trying to catch the attention of the audience, or am I trying to convey the message of the song so that when people go home, they actually remember the song the message of the song more than they remember me. Can you imagine that? I don't know who that guy was, but the song he sang, I can remember the words. You know, conversation over lunch on Saturday afternoon. That's, if that's the motivation, then the way I sing the song becomes very clear. The style is clear. Do I sing it in a way that brings attention to me? Or do I sing it in a way that brings attention to the words of the song? How should I conduct this song service? Again, very simple. Am I trying to rouse the saints? Sometimes we do need to be roused, I'll admit. But are we trying to make a show? Or are we trying to bring the congregation into the presence of God, into the mindset of worship? Are we trying to approach the throne of God through our song service? The answer to that question makes it much easier to figure out how to lead that song service. And he's going to talk more about that next. Everything becomes simpler when you ask those questions. Does that make sense? You see what I'm getting at? In conclusion, if our motivation for singing is truly, and I underline the word truly, if it is truly to share the love of God with those lost in darkness, then our music will draw closer and closer to heaven's perfect harmony. Amen? This quote. She's talking about um, music and doctrine in this section. She says, but the itching desire to originate something new results in strange doctrines 
and largely destroys the influence of those who would be a powerful, to be a, would be a, to be, would be a power for good if they held firm to the beginning, from the beginning of their confidence in the truth the Lord had given them. I hope that our desire for something new, that's, that's a strong desire as a musician. You always want to come up with a new uh, piece of something, whether it be a new lyric, a new melody, a new, a new chord progression, a new sound to catch people's attention. That desire, though, can, if not rightly guided by the principles God has given us, can result in strange doctrine in our music. So why should we sing? Do we sing for man's applause? Or do we sing because Jesus loves me, silly? Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would help us to remember this as we seek to better understand how to use music. Help us to remember why we want to use music. Help us to remember what this is for, for your glory. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you have died to save us. And we ask that you would help us to understand how to share that with others through music. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2017 Conference Arise in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.